Welcome to Witham Sounding Board, a podcast sharing powerful business tips, insights, and trends for those seeking to become a rock star in their industry. Welcome to Witham's Perspectives from the Bankruptcy Cliff, where we provide our perspective on various questions related to insolvency and bankruptcy affecting individuals and businesses. I am Miss Yerbin. I will be the host for this session. I am a member of Witham's Forensic Evaluation Group. Our team focuses on the unique needs of individuals and businesses going through a reorganization process, experiencing financial distress, or considering bankruptcy as an option. Today, I am joined by Stephanie Danos and Serena Sony who are also members of the team to get their perspective on types of bankruptcy fraud. We do need to start out by reminding everyone that the information you're about to hear is general in nature and should not be acted upon without the advice and counsel of qualified legal representation and financial advisors who can evaluate your unique circumstance. So let's get started. Serena, if if you don't mind, I'd like to start with you and just ask as a general question, what is bankruptcy fraud? Sure. Thanks, Missy. So bankruptcy fraud really does take a lot of different forms. Uh, Essentially, it's the concealment of assets in order to avoid them from being forfeited and turned over to creditors. And believe it or not, some of this bankruptcy fraud can occur prior to filing the petition for bankruptcy. Additionally, bankruptcy fraud can either be considered actual fraud or constructive fraud. Actual fraud occurs when the debtor intentionally wants to transfer monies or property, let's say to an insider, as an example. Constructive fraud occurs in a transaction or transfer where you're getting less than reasonably equivalent value for that transfer. I'll be discussing more about these two types of fraud in one of my later podcasts on fraudulent conveyances, so stay tuned. Okay. So you you mentioned some of the the, uh, types of fraud. What would you say is the most common form of bankruptcy fraud? Sure. So the most common form of bankruptcy fraud is the concealment of assets, which really does account for about 70% of bankruptcy fraud. Then there's also the type of fraud where, you know, debtors are supposed to list out all their assets on an asset schedule provided to the court. And needless to say, they don't always do that. So as a way to prevent creditors from liquidating or selling their assets. And lastly, there's something called fraudulent transfers, where transfers are made uh, transferring either money or property to an individual or entity in order to avoid creditors from getting a hold of that property. Now, I think, you know, in in my experience, I've heard someone mention petition mills. Can you go give us some detail on what that actually means? Sure. So this is pretty interesting. Actually, it's uh, it's interesting, but it's a sad type of fraud because this is where um, fraudsters will target the poor population or immigrant population, specifically tenants who are about to get evicted from their homes. And so what happens is the fraudster will, for a fee, of course, uh, promise to keep the tenant residing within their home. But what actually happens is oftentimes the fraudster will file uh, a bankruptcy filing on behalf of that tenant without them not always knowing that they're doing this. And although that'll prevent them from being evicted temporarily until the case is dismissed, uh, eventually they're going to be foreclosed on. That's really that's really unfortunate that this this even happens. Um, Would you say even that filing 
bankruptcy in several states would constitute fraud? Absolutely. <laughs> Filing in several states is definitely bankruptcy fraud. And usually that occurs when a fraudster, you know, they may change the names on the different filings, they may change information, but essentially they're doing this to, you know, either take advantage of the exemptions within that state or just slow down the whole bankruptcy process uh, or slow down the actual liquidation of assets. So if someone, you know, engages in any of these forms of bankruptcy fraud, what, what could be the potential consequences for doing so? Well, the consequences can range from anywhere from, you know, paying restitution all the way really to serving a sentence. You could serve up to 20 years in prison for bankruptcy fraud. Additionally, you can incur penalties uh, going all the way up to about 250000 per count. So note to thyself, don't commit bankruptcy fraud. Wow. Um, I'll, I'll turn it to Stephanie, if, if I can, and just ask her a few questions about this as well. Um, Stephanie, what are insider transfers? Yes, so insider transfers are transfers of assets to relatives, business partners, or officers of the debtor for less than equivalent value. Okay, and you hear you hear a lot of terms associated with fraud and um, what goes on in this context. Um, I've even heard the term bust-out scheme. Can you explain that? Sure. A bust-out scheme is also known as sleeper fraud, and it's the act of running up debt with no intentions of paying it back. So typically, a consumer will apply for credit and maintain a good credit history by keeping up with timely payments. Then over time, the consumer will request higher lines of credit or additional lines of credit until eventually all available credit is used. In the final stage of the fraud scheme, overpayments may be made with bad checks, which will temporarily inflate the credit limit. The overdrawn account is then abandoned. Well, it seems like, you know, it's a shame there's labels for all of this stuff because that, <laughs> that means that this stuff is happening out there because I've even heard the term a bleed out scheme. Can you explain that? Right. So a bleed out scheme is a depletion of assets in a long lifespan corporation done through sophisticated transactions. And these include insider transactions and tax manipulation. And these both lead to asset concealment, as Serena mentioned earlier. Okay. Um, what as, um, issues do cash basis companies face? They face difficulties involving properly representing themselves in schedules and the diversion of cash over the years. So if cash positions aren't properly disclosed on the tax returns, the company could face penalty of perjury. Let me, let me give you an example of something and, and tell me what you think about this. So I, I sold my house to, for $1 to my mother. That's okay, <laughs> right? Can I do that? That's not a problem. Uh, unless the house is worth $1, then that's oh. potentially a fraudulent conveyance. So I would say no. Uh, the difference between the sales price and the fair value of the home will be considered a gift in that amount. So you hear, you know, a lot of what's the, now the trend I have seen seminars on, I hear about all the time are crypto assets. If I were to hold crypto assets, do I need to report those? Absolutely. And you will most likely also face additional scrutiny. Uh, in the case of selling crypto assets, you must report the transaction. And if that led to a capital gain, you must pay the appropriate tax. Wow. I mean, there's there's a lot of topics here. And, uh, and I thank Stephanie and Serena for addressing this because I hope um, everyone found the different types of bankruptcy, bankruptcy fraud topic very helpful. Um, 
Should you have any specific questions regarding your unique circumstances, please reach out to a member of our team. Our contact information can be found at withem.com under Forensic Evaluation Services. This episode, as well as others in the series, can also be found at withem.com. Thank you for listening to Witham's Perspectives from the Bankruptcy Clip. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll be first in line to hear what's coming next. Don't want to wait for our next episode? Check us out at Witham.com. That's W-I-T-H-U-M.com.